Amen. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, what, a, what a blessing it is to be in the Lord's house and to hear his word and, and to sing praises to him. And, um, you know, what a, a just a joy um, to be with God's people today. And, and um, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 28 if you have your scripture and want to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. And, uh, you know, since 2010, uh, we've described the ministry of our congregation in, in three words, we've talked about worship, we've talked about discipleship, we've talked about outreach. And the way we, we say those things is love God, love others, serve the world. And so the idea is, is that if we love God the way we should, then we will love others the way we should, and then we will serve those who don't know God, and maybe they will come to know God and then they too can love God and, and you know, love others and then serve the world. And so you have this uh, cycle, if you will, uh, of loving God. But it all, you know, when you think about it, um, you've got worship, you've got discipleship, and you've got outreach. Three very biblical ideas, clearly rooted in Scripture, uh, for the ministry of the church. And they all relate to discipleship. They all relate to making disciples. And today we're going to talk about being disciples who make disciples. Okay, it's not enough just for us to be disciples. We also need to be making other disciples. And, and I think this is really important. And over time, you should be able to look at the disciple and uh, be able to identify the teacher. And... Um, you know, you think about this, we, we want to be able for people to look at us and, and identify Jesus uh, through our words, through our actions, and, and through our lives. And uh, you might ask the question, well, why am I so passionate about discipleship? And, and you got to understand something here. Uh, I have a front row seat, literally, okay? I sit on the front row every Sunday, but I have a front row seat to see God do transformational work in people's lives. I mean, this is big stuff. And, and, and it's absolutely thrilling because I too am being transformed myself as others are also being transformed. It's affecting me. And, and I really, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm truly grateful for that. And, and, and I view discipleship as the primary way that God builds his church. The way that he builds his church and the primary way that his kingdom will come is when we are actively involved in making, being disciples who are making disciples. And so just think about those things um, as we go through this. You know, um, this morning I just want to say, well, how are people discipled? And um, we disciple people in our church as a community, as a church community, and, and it plays out on, I want to say, three different levels. Three different levels. The first one, you know, picture like, if you will, a, a three-legged stool. You know, this, this podium has three legs, and it, if one of those legs was missing, it would, it would, you know, create problems. It probably wouldn't stand up right. 
And, uh, but because each of these legs is on here, uh, what happens is, is it is uh, equal, it is balanced, and it's able to maintain its upright position. And so when you think about this, three ways that we uh, people are discipled. The first one is one on many. One on many. And it, it looks kind of like this, where you have someone who is teaching what God's Word says. And, and uh, this weekly, I want to say corporate... Because we're all here, if you will, um, co- weekly corporate teaching. And um, you might call it sermons or messages or, or whatever. And this is, this is a good method of discipleship. It's a good method. Then you have one on some. So one on some would look more like Sunday school or a small group, maybe a connect group, something like that, but through small community groups. And, and that is actually a better way to disciple than one-on-many. One-on-many is good. Small groups, one-on-some is even better. So I'm going to encourage you to get involved in a small group of some kind, either a Sunday school class or a connect group or, or some type. Get involved in a small group because that is a better way of discipleship and then I want to say this, that the, the best way is one-on-one, okay? An intentional relationship. So the intent is to become more like Jesus, to be discipled. And so what you do is, you know, it, it's men discipling men and women discipling women. And, and, and so what happens is, is as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another, and so that is actually the best. There's, there's good, there's better, and then there's best. And best is, is one-on-one, one-on-one with intentional relationships. And this might seem a little bit remedial, but I have to point out that being a disciple of Jesus, okay, being a disciple of Jesus means that we accept Jesus' teachings. It seems basic to say that. But again, we're those cafeteria-type Christians where we pick and choose what we really want to embrace and what we don't. And so as we think about that, Jesus made the claim in John 14, 6, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if we're disciples of Jesus, then, then we must listen and obey his teachings. And, and a disciple of Jesus believes Every word that he spoke is true. And that every one of those matter. And we trust our lives and our souls to the care and the leadership of Jesus Christ in our life. That's why he says, follow me. Okay, so we follow him. We become a disciple of his. But folks, we, we, must, we must reach out. Okay, it's not enough just... For us to be disciples, it's not enough to know that, 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 that my family uh, has accepted Christ and we follow Christ, but we have to reach out. And Jesus likened it to fishing. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men in Matthew 14, excuse me, Matthew 419. And, and I, I think that's huge because we have to go. We have to go out to where there are lost people. We can't just come and stay in the huddle every week. 
We have to go out to where people who don't know Jesus, we interact with them. And, and, and you know, fish, they don't come to the boat for the fishermen. I mean, neither do the lost people come and they, they don't come and they want to be discipled and, and one to the Lord. But while it may be true that a fisherman may not always catch fish, I mean, Gary, have you ever been skunked? Never, huh? Never. Never. Well, I have. I've been skunked fishing before quite a few times, actually. But you know, it's true that a fisherman may get skunked occasionally, but no real fisherman is okay with not catching fish. I mean, what do they do? They change up their bait. They change the location. They change the time and the day or their season in order that they can catch fish. And a lot of times what we might do is we might say, well, God wants me to be a fisher of men. I need to go share my testimony. And the first time we get rejected, we give up. And we say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Must not be my spiritual gift. You know what? I wouldn't call myself a fisherman if I didn't keep going. And you can't call yourself a disciple if you don't keep going. Okay? Just because we come up empty-handed does not mean we give up. It does not mean we quit. It means we, we keep trying. We change up the, the, the bait, the location, the time, whatever it is we need to do in order to catch fish. See, we must understand what our goal is in our mission. I mean, if you run a business, if you run a business and the goal of that business is, is probably... One of the goals of that business is to be profitable. You want to have it for gainful employment. Now, if you manage or you coach a sports team, the goal for them is to win championships. That's what they want to do. That's their goal. And everything that they do comes together for the purpose of that goal. And as a Christian, your goal is to make disciples. Now we're going to look at a passage where, uh, from the Gospel of Matthew known as the Great Commission. And it's really what Jesus gave our marching orders. He gave us the things to do. And, and, and I want you to understand something, that, that God does not give direction for our lives just simply for our consideration. Somehow we think, well, okay, we can look at that, but I don't have to do that. He gives things in our lives. He gives direction, assuming that we are going to participate, that we are going to swing into action, that we're going to be obedient to what he asks us to do. He gives those commands. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think that knowledge is a sign of spiritual maturity. Well, the more that we know, about God's word, then, then, then we're going to be spiritually mature. But I want to tell you, that is not a sign of maturity. The sign of maturity is obedience. It's obedience to what God's word tells us. We can be filled with knowledge, but you know what that does? It puffs us up. But it's the obedience that really is the sign of spiritual maturity. So, 
as we talk about this passage, you know, what is, what is Matthew doing with the, the conclusion of his gospel letter? I mean, his book here, he's, he's showing his, his Jewish audience that the message of life is for all the nations, all of the nations, not just uh, Israel, not just the Jewish nation. But let's look in Matthew chapter 28. I want to read verse 16 uh, through the end of the chapter, 16 through 20. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to voice a prayer. Verse 16 in chapter 28 of Matthew says this. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and Father, I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Father, I pray that you would wake us up from our slumber. I pray, Father, that you would help this passage, the the words of Christ, to matter to each one of us. That, Father, we would take it seriously and not just blow it off, but, Father, that we would recognize this is what you gave us to do. Father, we love you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your words would be embedded in our hearts and minds as we continue to seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you just a little bit about what's going on historically uh, when this great commission was, was given by Jesus to his disciples. And, you know, many scholars have, have thought about and looked at, speculated, if you will, that this meeting is one of them that is referred to in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. You remember this passage, 1 Corinthians 15 and following verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, born, he appeared to me also. In that passage, it's talking about where he appeared to the disciples. And, and uh, it mentions it twice in that passage. Now, verse 16 says that the 11 disciples. So we have the, the disciples minus Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. So you have the 11 disciples, and they, they proceeded to Galilee... And uh, they proceeded to this prearranged meeting 
Matthew considers it so important that he makes this the final words of his, of his letter, of his gospel. And, and it's interesting because Matthew's gospel was intended for a Jewish audience. And, and Matthew shows how, how Jews, uh, shows the Jews how Jesus was a descendant from David and, and, and the promised Messiah, their savior. But this commissioning takes place on a mountain in Galilee. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. So there's a distance of, of here, a geographical distance. And, and it's interesting, if you read in this passage, if you go back in uh, the resurrection account and look at verse 10, after he rose from the dead, uh, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. In other words, go to Galilee and there they will see me. So you have the disciples who are, who are hunkered down there because they just killed Jesus over the weekend. He came back to life. He's, he's putting in the marching orders and all of a sudden he's like, meet me in Galilee. Go tell them to meet me in Galilee. And then in verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated. And I say that because of this. I want you to notice that Jesus keeps his appointments. He told them to meet him at this mountain and that's where he went. And that's where he was. And so he tells them to meet me there and they go there and there he is. And notice what else it says in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. I would imagine that was a pretty spectacular event. Jesus, risen from the dead, in person, in front of them. And it said, but some were doubtful. And, you know, in that, the, this Greek verb that was used here implies hesitation or indecision. They were a little bit hesitant and they were a, a little bit uh, noncommittal. But, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean unbelief when I say doubtful. They were kind of hesitant about it. They were unsure about it. They had never seen a resurrected person before. They didn't know what they were, they were looking at. And the disciples were struggling to comprehend exactly what was going on in front of them at that time. They're, they're freaked out by it. I mean, he died and now he's, 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 he's resurrected. And so Jesus gave the great commission, if you will, to doubters. Some people who were hesitant, maybe some who were undecided, if you will, maybe they doubted that God could use them. Maybe we doubt that God could use us. Some were doubtful. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Wow. All authority in heaven and on earth. <laughs> Folks, this is no idle claim. He has proven it to his disciples over and over. He's proven it to us over and over. Because when Jesus, when he speaks to sick people, 
they get made well. He has authority over humanity. Jesus can speak to nature. He can speak to the wind. He can speak to the sea and they become calm. They obey him. Jesus commands demons and angels and they do what he says. (laughs) Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. Jesus demonstrated authority in his teachings and in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus even commands the dead to come forth and they come up out of the grave. Jesus himself rose from the dead and he has authority over death. (laughs) Folks, that's my master. That's my Lord. The one who can do all of these things and commands authority over everything in heaven and on earth. That's my God. That's my Lord. That's my Savior. Daniel 7, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It says this. It says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's my Lord. That's the one we're talking about. And he told his disciples, I have been given all authority. Not some authority, not a little bit of authority. We have trouble even getting our children and our our pets to do anything. What kind of authority do we have? We got minuscule authority. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me I mean what does that authority mean for us what does that mean for us I mean how can we say no to the one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords as his disciple his authority goes with us as his disciple his authority goes with us but here's where the rub comes in If you've not been properly discipled, then you will not understand your role in the kingdom. Nor will you understand, you know, how you should approach the kingdom and you will approach the the, the kingdom being timid and unsure because you don't understand the authority that has been vested in you by Jesus Christ. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So remember this. Yes, you are commanded to go make disciples, but you're not left on your own. You're not left by yourself. I mean, think about this. We pray earnestly and we give sacrificially and then we go to the ends of the earth. Folks, that is so true in everything that we do. We pray earnestly, we give sacrificially, and we go to the ends of the earth. I just want to say, 
as a church, we're making an impact in God's kingdom. We're involved in a lot of different areas. We're involved in a lot of different things. And some of our our own ministry is a personal ministry to those we live around, maybe our neighbors, if you will. And there's things that, that you know, we don't, we don't put it up on a screen, we don't, we don't talk about it, we just do it. We just meet needs, we help them wherever they are. That's the serving the world part. But let me give you a, a few other things that we do uh, that are, I wanna say, more collaborative efforts. Um, I mean, from reaching out into our neighborhoods around the church to ministries like Feed My Sheep, where we help feed people who don't have enough food to eat. We help feed homeless people. We help feed those in temple who may not have enough to eat. We're also involved in mentoring in some of our local schools where we're taking on some, some, some students. We're also involved with Bell Baptist Association. We're actively participating with Texas Baptist men in, um, you know, trainings and call-outs for disaster relief. We're getting people ready to help with that. We're actively involved in prison ministry, ministering to students on college campuses, we're evangelizing, we're discipling. We're even coming alongside just recently and assisting churches in St. Louis. Doing some evangelism, doing some building, helping them. Even going down to Honduras later this year. We're evangelizing, we're discipling while we're there. Even funding the, the building of a church building in Honduras. We're also strengthening churches on another continent, in Africa, in the Uluguru Mountains of Tanzania. We're, we're partnering with the Freedom Road Biker Church here in Belton, and, and what we do is we deliver motorcycles to the pastors up in the mountains so they can get quicker back and forth between the churches that they are pastoring. I mean, all of this is happening because of memorial. We're actively involved in these things. We're teaching discipleship to orphans in Kenya. We're supporting missionaries in Southeast Asia and in other parts of the world where they are carrying the gospel. And we're diligently working locally, but we're also working on a global basis. It's not either or, it's both and simultaneously at the same time. We're doing local and global stuff together. But you know what? All of these, all of these things we are involved in come with a price tag. Every single one of them is an investment that this church is making into God's kingdom. As we pray and as we go, we, we give sacrificially. We give even when we don't have it. We give even when it hurts. And all of these are great initiatives for us to be involved with, but it takes money to do these things. Most of the time, what we care about 
is what's going to happen right here on Sunday morning. But I want you to know that is the tip of the iceberg of everything else that's going on that we are involved with. That's just this much of it is what we do here on Sunday morning. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, we just need to be doing these things that God puts on our heart and, and um, you know, being a blessing, storing up our treasure in heaven. And that's what we're doing. See, a disciple resembles the teacher. And as a Christian, we must resemble Christ. And we're given three responsibilities for making disciples. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but they're right here in our text. You should be able to, to pick these up and run with them. They are going, baptizing, and teaching. Three words, three responsibilities. Now, in the Greek, these, these three words, go, baptize, and teach, are all participles which derive their force from the one controlling verb which was before it, which is make disciples. All of this means that in the going, in the, in the baptizing, in the teaching, those things are only good insofar as they contribute to making disciples. This is key. This, this verb, this controlling verb, really does uh, inform the action of these participles. And what I mean by that is if, if you go in an act of obedience, but in the process you're going doesn't work towards making disciples, then you aren't obeying. That's not what he said to do. If you baptize someone, but you're not discipling them, then you haven't obeyed. If you teach someone about Jesus, but they don't become a disciple, then you're not finished. You still have more work to do. And see, we need to look at each one of these three different responsibilities, going and baptizing and teaching. And, and, and as we do, I want to start with that controlling verb, make disciples, because that's where it all has to come back to. And if we're talking about making disciples, I want to give you two more scriptures real quickly. One is in John 8, 31. And so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. See the crowd on the mountain that day? They would have known that their role was to make disciples of anyone who would be willing to make Jesus the master of their life so that one day their disciple would actually resemble Jesus and have the full beneficiary of the way of life that Jesus would lead them in. They would truly become his disciples. And then in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those two verses, if you continue in my teaching, you are truly my disciples. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This kind of teaching doesn't happen out in the world. This kind of teaching belongs to the disciples who follow Jesus Christ. 
See, I know that our text says, go therefore and make disciples. But probably a better translation of that is as you go, as you go, in the going, make disciples. I mean, Jesus certainly intended that disciples would be made of all the nations. And at a very basic level, that means that (laughs) there's going to be disciples who travel to other countries, other nations to make disciples. And we usually call those folks missionaries, whether it's a short-term mission or a long-term mission. But we call them missionaries. And some of you might very well go to other nations and make disciples. But I hope that you will hone your skills here first. Because if you're not a missionary here, you won't be a missionary when you go there. It starts here. Hone your skills here, making disciples. Others of you are going to make disciples as you go through your life. Some might go to other nations. Some just as you as you do life, you know, as you as you go to work, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. As you work at home, make disciples. Wherever it is that you are going in this life, as you go, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, baptism is an essential act of obedience to anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We come, we, get, we are baptized, and, and, and baptism is when a person says to the world, I belong to Jesus. It's a symbol of being moved from death <laughs> to being resurrected and coming back to life. It, it's a symbol of being made clean and, and, and placing our full trust in Jesus. And so Jesus does a very important thing, though, when he says what the disciple is baptized into. Verse 19 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I just point out to you this morning that Jesus says the singular form of the word name, not names. Okay, and, and, and he goes and lists three names, so why does he use the singular form? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the three persons of the one triune God. He's talking about one God in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. And so although there are three names, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes our understanding of baptism leaves out the part where we look at what we're being baptized into. But Jesus made it very clear that we are to baptize disciples into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what does that mean? Baptism is a public display that you fully belong to God and that you want his name over top of your life. In other words, he's my banner. He is my identity. He is the one I live for. He is the one I do this for. No matter what we are doing, we do it for him. We are a new creation. We've been adopted into his family. We're we're part of his church. We're, We're to walk in this holiness. And we have a new way of life under the command and leadership and support 
of Almighty God. Folks, we cannot, we cannot make this simpler. We can't dumb it down. We can't do all of these things. It is who we are in Christ. And it matters. But I want you to understand that baptism also is exciting. It's incredibly exciting for the person who is being baptized. It's also exciting for the one who is is doing the discipling. When you see someone that you are discipling come to a place in their life where they are ready for baptism. What an amazing thing. It's It's a great work. It's a gift of God to see that transformation happen in someone's life. I love verse 20. Moving on. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That word observe We tend to think about it as looking at something because we observe something, but it also means to obey. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. See, in those days, a disciple was someone who devoted their life to learn from their master, and this learning was more than knowledge-based. See, a, a disciple's goal was to learn so much from their master that they could resemble their master and of course benefit from the teaching but they wanted to be like Jesus Jesus was so radically different from anything that they saw and 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 anybody they they hung around with during that day and so when they saw who Jesus was they wanted to resemble him and so they began to walk with him and follow him and if you are a disciple of Jesus then you are to do what he says but understand this they didn't just listen to Jesus They had not only listened to what he said, but they lived what he said. (laughs) Folks, that is huge. They listened to what he said, but then they lived what he said. And now it is time to take that lesson to the nations as part of making disciples. You know, we moved into a new house a a year ago last November, and so over the summer... uh, it's a, it's a half acre lot and so I, I had to turn in my old push mower and get something I could ride on to mow this half acre. And the thing is though is, is I ended up buying a, a, a zero turning radius mower, okay? And so I, I, I'd never driven one of these things and I read the manual, they, 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 they delivered it to my house, I'm reading the manual, I'm looking at it, flipping through the pages, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, you know. But then, it's something to, to, to read about it, but it's something else to experience doing it. Oh man, you talk about herky-jerky. I mean, I got on that thing and man, it was, I, was, I was having trouble making it go. And, and wondering what to do and all that, you know. And it was kind of like I was a, a kid again and I was learning how to drive a stick shift or something. But, you know, we have to actually do it. It's, it, it's, you can't just read the manual. That's not enough. We need more than information. We need to live out. We need to practice what we know. And that's really where it comes down to it is you and I need to practice what we already know because we're, we're educated beyond our level of obedience. When you read your Bible, you read your Bible to learn more about God and how he made this world and how he designed you. But we also read while looking for opportunities 
to, to trust him and to obey him. Looking at what he is speaking to you through his word. And when you talk to someone about Jesus, you'll be living proof of this gospel that you are proclaiming. I could show someone how to drive a ZTR mower now. Plenty of experience, if you will, on that. It's not that big a deal. I don't, I don't have any, any qualms about firing it up and going and mowing the yard or whatever. But it's because I've practiced with it. It's because I've put it into practice and by living it out. And understand that Jesus doesn't give advice for our consideration. He commands to be obeyed. You know, when you think about that, the angels, I was talking to my son Joshua about this. He said the angels, he was referring to a message that he had heard, I think, from David Platt. He said the angels were created beings, just like we are, created beings. The angels, however, are perfectly obedient to everything that God says. The ones that weren't are no longer called angels. They're called demons. But understand, he created them to be obedient beings that would do everything he asked them to do. They've not been redeemed. They've not sinned. The ones who need redeemed are us. But you know what? That's a song that we can sing that the angels can't sing. We know about amazing grace. We know what God has done for us. I love that because he doesn't give these commands just to, for our consideration. He gives them to be obeyed. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you do what he says. I'm wrapping this up, but you know, discipleship to Jesus will be one of the great joys of your life. And that's because God blesses discipleship. He blesses when we disciple others. It's his method. And what's more is that Jesus gives the promise that he will be with us as we carry forward the command. I mean, this promise is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, God himself, was given to every single disciple of Jesus Christ. He came in, he, he rested upon them, and they found that this task wasn't just based on their obedience. The task of discipleship is the work of God through our obedience. Think about this. As we make disciples, we know that it's God doing the work. But this work doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen accidentally. It takes planning on our part to go make disciples. We have to be intentional about being a disciple who makes disciples. And I'm convinced that everything in the Christian faith is intrinsically tied to discipleship. See, I believe that God uses discipleship to transform lives. He uses discipleship to transform churches he uses discipleship to transform cities and nations over every other single method. He uses discipleship. And folks, this is the command of Jesus Christ. Make disciples.
And it's more than just talking about what we know. It's living this amazing life that Jesus died for us so that we could live. Mm. See, discipleship is meant to begin when we answer God's call. The call of Christ to follow him and it's a lifelong joy and pursuit. Now, I'm gonna invite the worship team to go ahead and make their way back up here and they're gonna lead us again in, in a couple of songs. But you know, making disciples is the work of the Holy Spirit. And God does the work in a person's life, but he uses his church to begin the work. Now, maybe I've just seen too many Disciple Now t-shirts, but to simplify, simplify, I write that that way now all the time. To simplify things, disciples make other disciples. And I wanna encourage you this morning to be disciples who make disciples. Did you know did you know that there are 11,751 different people groups in our world today? 11,751 different people groups. Over 7,000 of those people groups are still unreached with the gospel. That means if you have a population of 8 billion people that 3.2 billion people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 40% of the world's population has not heard and has no access to the gospel. I'm not talking about they haven't heard like your neighbor who lives right next to you. Your neighbor has you. They have access to the gospel. These are people who have never heard, who have never had access to the gospel. They couldn't even hear it if they wanted to. But listen, God is with you. God is with you. You start with an act of obedience and and whatever you can, with whatever you can, you start that. and, And I trust that God is going to bless you as you obey him. Yes, he commands you, but he also provides you with the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is God's work through you. So each of you, I want you to be comforted. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened because I want you to step up to this task of being disciples who make disciples. I mean, would you commit your life today to do that? You know, think about this for just a moment and I'm done. Most of the time, we say that when a species is able to reproduce, that that species is mature. If we took that analogy spiritually, are you able to reproduce who you are? Because that's what we're called to do. And if we can't reproduce what we are, maybe we're not as spiritually mature as we think we are. 
Maybe we're adolescents. Maybe we're still children. You know, it it would be crazy to think about. But what if all of us were able to reproduce what we are? You want to make a kingdom impact? Do that. That is a work that I guarantee you God will bless. Because that's the command of our Lord. And that's what he said. If you're going to do something, do this. We've just got to commit ourselves to doing that. How about it? Would you be willing to commit yourself to become a disciple who can and will reproduce who you are in Christ? Let's do it. Each one of us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this day and I I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in my heart. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of your people. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to show yourself mighty.